and welcome to the Famous Five podcast, in which we share with you a Famous Five adventure written by Enid Blyton. Today's book is Five Go Off in a Caravan. If you haven't read the book and you don't want to be subject to spoilers, please turn off now and come back when you've read it. Hello and welcome back to the fifth book, Five Go Off in a Caravan. Technically two caravans. Yeah, I was surprised when it ended up being two caravans because of the title, but it does make a bit more sense to have two with two little sets of bunk beds. Five Go Off in Caravans doesn't quite have the same ring to it though, does it? No, but for a long time I thought this book was called Five Go Off Caravanning. Ooh. So, yeah, so that, that actually worked for any amount of caravan. True. I apologise, I've got a cold and it's really affecting my voice, so sorry if I sound like I'm not breathing through my nose. I'm actually not. <laughs> we weren't with you last month. We've both had incredibly busy schedules. I've been away to Disneyland Paris, I've had a visitor who came for a week, and so we thought we would just skip October and plough into November with book five. Yeah, we did want to, and we were trying to figure out getting an episode out in October, and then it just sort of got so silly with all the things that we were doing, and we thought, we'll just not rush it this month, we'll do it next month and we can give you a quality product. And... So last month in the month of October, I got back from my holiday. I went to visit my lovely friend, you, for a week. That was wonderful. And I've been job hunting. And so I had, you know, some applications and interviews and things. And actually, I've now started my new job. I work in IT now doing computer stuff. I feel like a child on the first day of school, you know, like making new friends and learning new things in my new subjects. It's been fun. Oh, bless your heart. What have you been up to? Uh, apart from Disneyland Paris, I don't know. What do I do? I drink a lot of tea. I do a lot of cross-stitch. I was going to say, you do a lot of crafts. Yeah, I do do a lot of crafts. I'm currently... My dad doesn't listen to this, so it's fine. I'm currently making a board game for my dad for Christmas. Ooh. That's what I was doing earlier on. And... Editing podcasts, I do an awful lot of that as well. You do do a lot of that. Ooh, I feel I should give a, a cat update before we move on. Oh yes, go on. To, to say, last time we recorded, our one sweet boy, Tom Brown, had moved out and was living in the garden like a wild thing. And we hadn't yet got our new kitten, Bo, I don't think. So since then, Bo has moved in. And Tom Brown has moved back into the house and he and Bo are absolute best friends ever for life. And they do everything together all day long. It's absolutely adorable. Oh, very sweet indeed. Bless them. Yeah. So shall we move on to Five Go Off in a Caravan? Let's please do that, yes. Firstly, you'll have read the book so you know, but there are instances in this book that deal with cruelty to children and animals so if that's something that you're very sensitive to we won't be discussing it in detail but it definitely will come up 
And there's something else we need to tell you about this podcast as well. Yes, something we do have to say, because when I started reading this book and I was ready, as you know, if you've listened before, I hadn't ever read these books before. So I was ready for a good fun, famous five adventure. And I started reading and I got to page two and something wasn't quite right. And I couldn't, I couldn't place it to begin with. I was trying to think, why is this so strange? And what it was is they keep referring to their parents as mum and dad. And to begin with, I couldn't think what they usually call their parents, but I knew that mum and dad didn't sound right. And I suddenly thought, oh my gosh, what if I am unknowingly reading one of the new versions? And I went to the front of the book where it's got all the copyright and the published dates. And it says in here, first published in Great Britain in 1942. This revised edition first published in 2010. And from my little knowledge of the revised editions, they were very unsuccessful and people didn't like them. So they then went back to the originals with later reprints. And maybe we'll find out why during this podcast. Having read this one, I can see a little bit why, because... Lots of the time when they say modern things, it it just um, it didn't really fit in, I felt. A lot of it was sort of jarring, and I'd be reading along into the story, and then they'd say something not super modern, but a little bit modern. For example, they'd be saying, I'm really hungry, instead of, I'm very hungry. And it just, having read the the original releases of the other ones, this one was a very strange read for me. And one of the big things we found out is that in my book, their friend, the boy from the circus, is called Ned. Whereas we all know in real life, (laughs) so real life, in the originals, he's called Nobby. And I shall always refer to him as Nobby. It's ridiculous that they changed it to Ned. Why, Why bother? Why do that? I am going to do my best to call him Nobby when I talk about it. If I accidentally say Ned, I apologise because I didn't know until I'd finished the book that he's called something different in a different one because I didn't want to talk to you about it in case I got spoilers or things that were really different. But yeah. No, I think as we go through this podcast, it'll be really interesting to see the differences and try and work out why. So it adds a new level, but I think it's a real shame that of the two of us, it was you that came across the revised edition because uh, I think that it's a real shame that you haven't been able to read the original. Yes, and you know, often when I get my Famous Five books, I get them from the library and they've usually got a few different editions of them, you know, just different covers and things. And I, I think I did know that there were modern ones because you had said before, but I didn't have it in the forefront of my mind. And I was actually just lucky with the other ones. I think that that was the only one there or it was the one that I happened to pick up. This one I ordered from the library because they didn't have any copies in and this is what they sent me. Right, shall we dig in? Yes, let's. So here's the synopsis on the back of my book. The famous five are thrilled to go on a caravanning holiday with no parents and only Julian in charge. They all head off to Merrin Lake, where a circus is camping nearby. But two of the circus performers start acting suspiciously. They've got something to hide. But what could it be? 
and can the five solve the mystery without getting caught? To back of my book, I do like to read mine as well when yours is different. I'm worried that this will instantly make you angry. I'm going to try not to be angry by the revision. Okay. Well, th this even I think is unnecessary. This says, the intrepid five are Julian, Dick, Anne, George, and Timmy the dog. Why does it say intrepid? Why doesn't it just say the stop? Anyway. The rest of it's all right. Together they find adventure and excitement wherever they go. Can they solve this mystery? A holiday in a horse-drawn caravan. That's bound to mean adventure for the five, and especially when they catch up with a circus. But some of the circus people are very unfriendly. Could they have more sinister plans than just clowning around? Oh, yeah. I see what they're going for, and I hate it. <laughs> I know, I, I'm not. I'm in a strange position where I don't really like it, but I don't, you know, I don't know what the original was the like, but is, I know that it wasn't like this. It's that thing of you don't know any better. And it sort mm. of has a crossover for me with the Alice in Wonderland film directed by Tim Burton that we've discussed on our other podcast, the KJD pod. In that, yes. you may go to that. And if that's the first Alice in Wonderland experience you have you think that's the original story because why wouldn't you? And I think I feel the same way about the revised version of The Famous Five. And I think that's what people feel when they say things like the film has ruined the book. Mm. They don't actually mean it's ruined it. They mean that people coming to something that they love for the first time will think that this is what it's like, not this. Yes. But anyway, five go off in a caravan by Enid Blyton, if you didn't already know. <laughs> Chapter one, it's the summer holidays and the four children and Timmy are at Julian, Dick and Anne's house. And they now appear to live in the countryside. There's no mention of them moving. We know in book one they did live in London, which is yes. definitely not where they are now. They're not at Kirin because Uncle Quentin is busy doing his science and that makes him angry if there's children there. So they laze about in the garden discussing potential holidays and then they fall asleep. One of my favourite things happened while they're lazing about in the garden. So in book three, Five Run Away Together, when Timmy is laying on Anne's feet and she doesn't like it and she pushes him off to go and sit on George because his feet are too heavy and hot. And in this one, when they're just they're hanging out in the garden, not doing much, and it says, Timmy put a friendly paw on Anne's middle and she squealed. Oh, Timmy, your paw's heavy. Take it off. I'm glad to see that that theme continues. And Timmy also considers himself to be on guard because his family is sleeping and he starts to bark. He's seen the most peculiar sight, elephants, monkeys and caravans and a boy turning cartwheels. He comes to talk to the children and they ask him questions about the circus. He points out his caravan that he lives in with his uncle, and that they are headed up to the hills for a rest. He also introduces his dogs, Barker and Growler. His uncle is the chief clown, although Anne doesn't think he looks much like a clown. And after the procession has gone, George has the brilliant idea of going off in a caravan themselves. Ooh! In chapter two... They decide that they could go and camp near the circus and take their never-before-mentioned horse, Dobby. Love it. They need to ask permission, so they go and find their mother, who is unsure at first, 
but then remembers that Daddy has to go up north and would like her to go with him, but not the children, of course. I know. Finally, the next morning, their mother tells them Daddy has agreed and they are to have two caravans and will borrow a horse for the second one. It's very exciting and they all go off to tell Dobby the news. Wonderful. Let's go and tell Dobby, said Anne. He's sure to be excited too. Baby, he won't understand a word you tell him, said George. But off she went with Anne just the same. And soon Dobby was hearing all about the wonderful holiday plan. Hroomph! So long as it included him too, he was happy. He is a good pony. <laughs> Another bit I really liked just before they go and speak to Dobby is um, Julian Dick and Anne's father says... You'll be in complete charge, Julian, because he realises that he's old enough to be responsible. And then George says, and Timmy will be in charge too. He's just as responsible as Julian. And nobody says anything against it. Everybody's just like, yes, he is. Love it. Just to double check with you, Anne says, you're a darling, Timmy. I'll always do what you say as well as what Julian says. That does happen, but Anne actually says, you're lovely, Timmy, not you're a darling. Okay. And then just out of interest, does Dick then call her an idiot? No! Silly, said Dick. He patted Timmy's head. I bet we wouldn't be allowed to go without you, Timothy. You're a really good guard for anyone. Okay, you are a jolly good guard for anyone. Oh, yeah, that really, that was, I picked up a lot when I was reading it. Okay, so they've taken Mm. out the word idiot, replaced it with silly, and taken out the word jolly and replaced it with really. Yes. And you're lovely instead of you're a darling. Amazing. Very interesting. Infuriating. In chapter three, Mother says the caravans are very modern, and George, who has the best eyesight, spots them on the horizon being towed by cars. There's a red one and a green one, and Anne is having the red one. The children spend a long time examining the caravan, and Anne is losing her mind with excitement. (laughs) But they still had to wait another day for Trotter. The parents give them all sorts of instructions and finally Trotter arrives and off they go. One of my favourite of the famous five tropes pops up here, which is they have to get rid of the parents. And obviously we've already discussed how mother and daddy have to go off up north. But I like when their mother says she's looking at the caravans and she loves them. And she says, if I wasn't going with dad, I'd be tempted to come with you. Don't look so worried, Dan. I'm not really coming because obviously she can't because they can't have an adventure with her there. Absolutely not. And then I wondered about this when I read this part and I would like to ask you. So they put all their things away and they get their clothes and they've packed all their things into the caravan. They're getting all excited to go. And Anne says, I'll keep everything very clean. Remember how I used to like playing at keeping house, mum? Well, it will be real this time. I'll have two caravans to keep clean. The boys and George will help you, said her mother. Ha, said Anne. If I don't make the bunks and wash the dishes, they'll never be made or wash. washed. I know that. It's a good thing one of you is sensible, said her mother. But everyone will share in the work, Anne. Does that happen in yours? Yes. Yeah, it did. Okay. I wondered if they'd popped that in to be a bit more modern because Anne does like playing house and she's very good at it. And I thought, what if she's saying I'm going to keep everything clean and they all say, oh, yeah, good, good going. And then they thought, oh, we've got to modernise this and make it so everyone will help. But okay. Okay, well, I'm satisfied with that. Funnily enough, the the language used is different, though. 
Oh. Because uh, she says, keep it clean all by myself. All by yourself, said her mother. Well, surely the boys will help you, and certainly George must. Poo the boys, said Anne. They won't know how to wash and dry a cup properly, and George never bothers about things like that. And then it says, if I don't make the bunks, etc. Oh. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, history does mean things to Anne and Julian, especially. And all we remember about Julian is he's bossy. And all we remember about Anne is that she's a little housekeeper, which we know isn't the case with either of them. So I think while that sounded modern, it's actually what's in there because Anne really enjoys doing all the cooking and cleaning, but she is never forced to. It's a character trait that she enjoys doing it. Yes, yes, she does. Okay. Chapter four. As the caravans go along, Julian sings at the top of his voice. Anne says she would like an ordinary holiday for a change. They stop for the day and go to a farm for supplies. Anne cooks outside over the fire. She gets a bit overexcited when trying to crack an egg and fails. And she also offers to fry some of Timmy's biscuits. Because I suspect she's a lunatic. <laughs> Oh, bless her. No, she's so excited about frying things and she's just, everything will be better fried. Eat the dog biscuits. But George shuts that down. George is sensible. This is honestly why Anne does often remind me of you because I know that you get so excited about certain things that you sometimes say whatever comes into your (laughs) head and you offering to fry dog biscuits because you've enjoyed cooking everything else is completely believable. Well, do you know what's funny is when Anne starts saying that she'd fry the dog biscuits, I genuinely thought, what a good idea is that? I bet they'll be lots nicer for Timmy. (laughs) And to end chapter four, they settle in for the night in their cosy caravans. Bless them. I do like in this chapter how they're talking about how they're not going to have adventures and this is going to be such a you know a a boring ordinary holiday not like how they usually have and of course we the readers know that there's definitely going to be adventure but it's it's such a sweet little moment in chapter five it covers the next three or four days where they just enjoy the country lanes in their caravans timmy makes friends with trotter the horse and trotter looks out for timmy and nuzzles him and Anne says i like this holiday better than any we've ever had said Anne, busy cooking something in a pan. It's exciting without being adventurous. And although Julian thinks he's in charge of us, I am really. You'd never get your bunks made or your meals cooked or the caravans kept clean if it wasn't for me. Don't boast, said George, feeling rather guilty because she let Anne do so much. I'm not boasting, said Anne indignantly. I'm just telling the truth. (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, Julian does say you're a very good little housekeeper, but he doesn't mean it patronisingly. He actually just means that. She is very good. She is little because she's littler than they are. And she's keeping house and she loves it. She's doing it because she wants to. Yes. And he even says we couldn't possibly do without you. Now, he is patronising sometimes, but in that respect and in that context he's not belittling her by calling her a very good little housekeeper yeah I agree because they all like and appreciate that Anne is that way because as Julian says they couldn't do it without her because what would they eat I don't know cold sardines out of a tin no one would think to make sandwiches they would eat what Nick and Mike eat when we're yeah they'd have a microwave pizza I don't know if they have microwaves in 1942 (laughs) instant noodles 
and yeah you know a bit of cereal in the morning maybe some toast cheese sandwiches something easy they would wouldn't yeah. they yes <laughs> we're all Anne yes come along she called in a voice just like her mother's have your meal while it's hot now I don't know about I do know about you but I find myself saying exactly the things that my mum used to say yeah yeah happens to us all The children think that tomorrow they'll be in the hills above the lake near the circus. They look forward to seeing the boy that they met when the circus went past them. The boy being called Nobby, which I don't think I said earlier. And Trotter tries to get onto the (laughs) caravan to see his beloved Timmy. They talk about the animals at the circus and Nobby's uncle. The next day they see Merrin Hills and Lake, but they must camp before they get there. They talked to the girl at the farm who was fair frizzled by the thought of lions that the circus brought one year. And next morning they set off, see the lake and go and bathe immediately. And after a picnic, they go in search of Nobby and his circus camp. The frizzling. When this came up in my book, I wasn't sure if that was a modern change, but you assured me it wasn't. She she isn't fair frizzled though, unfortunately. She just says that hearing them roaring at night, that frizzled my spine. Ah, that's interesting. Well, what we did find out when we discussed that bit of information was that in the original, Dick and Julian go to the farm, whereas in your version... Julian and George go. Yeah, because I I sent you a picture of this page because I wanted to find out about the frizzling and you said, well, why have they swapped Dick for George? Maybe they're just making it a bit, trying to make it a bit more gender balanced, I suppose. I'm not sure. No, I don't know. Anyway, George and Julian had a lovely time in this one. There is a little bit where Dick calls Julian Captain. He says, anything you say, Captain, which always makes me laugh. Dick is wonderful with all his little things like that. I liked that too. In chapter six, they arrive at the circus camp and see Nobby with a chimp. Nobby is surprised to see them and they wonder if Pongo the chimp and Timmy will get on. George shakes hands with Pongo to show Timmy that it's okay and Pongo shakes Timmy's paw but also goes around the back of him and shakes his tail too. Wonderful. (laughs) Nobby reveals his uncle is called Tiger Dan because of his temper and he points out Lou, the chief acrobat. Lou can climb anything. This is important. He comes to speak to them and is very suspicious of them and kicks out at Timmy and threatens him. But to lighten the mood, Pongo gets into their caravan, raids it, and eats from a tin of sweets. So were you expecting a chimp to uh, be so prevalent in the story? Not at all, no. From the last book I read, in the back they had a picture of the cover of this one, and there was a boy holding hands with a chimpanzee, but it had completely gone out of my mind until we met Pongo. And I did not think anything of how Lou can climb anything and do all these stunts when I was first reading it. And I should have because because he's mean. We know he's going to be a villain. But I just I read through it and I was like, aha, yes, in the circus and he can go on a tightrope. So now I think it is. I think I think this one drops some nice little clues before you know anything is going on. Uh, I'll come to that in a minute. But also, he introduces other circus folk later on, so it's not as if you should sort of bookmark the fact that Lou's an acrobat. Mm, Okay. 
So in chapter seven, they invite Nobby to tea and he gets excited in their caravans about their taps and their crockery. Oh, I know. Bless him. Pongo seems very keen on Anne. Nobby turned cartwheels and stood on his head to eat a sandwich. Anne compliments Nobby on his manners because he says his aren't as good as theirs. And Pongo takes one of Anne's hankies. Let me ask you, what do they have in the sandwiches that Anne makes? Because in this one, she makes peanut butter sandwiches. Potted meat. Mmm, I thought peanut butter was a bit modern. Okay, thank you. Well, we'd love to have you to stay, said Anne in delight. I'll cut some bread and butter and make some sandwiches. Do you like potted meat sandwiches, Nobby? Do you like peanut butter sandwiches, Ned? Oh, what is this? It's very strange, isn't it, some of the things they've changed? I'm actually fascinated by it because I can sort of understand changing Nobby because nobody these days is called Nobby. But then again, nobody these days is called Ned. And also, if we're changing Nobby because it's, in inverted commas, a funny, rude name, why have we kept Dick? They seem to have made very strange decisions. And also, if... They're not happy with potted meat because that's too old. Uh, Ham? Ham still exists. I mean, potted meat still exists, but ham is the nearest. Yeah, and they eat ham later in the book. Maybe they felt that they had to keep the variety of food that we're so accustomed to from the other famous five picnics. Children aren't stupid. A 10-year-old reading this book knows that it's set in the past because there's animals at the circus. They don't have animals at circuses anymore. There's children that are younger than 14 Mm -hmm. being allowed on holiday on their own. Yes. They know and understand that this is a period piece. And I... uh, No, right, I'm not getting into it. Let's just carry on. Let's just carry on. Okay. I understand what you're saying, though, because at that age, you can understand when you read something if it is old-fashioned and dated and swapping potted meat for peanut butter is just I don't I don't see it's necessary anyway right after Nobby leaves Julian has a sudden worry about associating with circus folk and then I've written not only does he suffer under the prison of masculinity he also has to remember where he falls in the class system <laughs> yes I I thought that a little bit when that happened, um, that he's, I don't know, you know, they've met, they've met Nobby and he's a nice boy and then they've met two unpleasant men, but um, Julian does get a bit classist. Which, I mean, we've discussed this in Five Run Away together, but it's, it is a sign of the times. It's another old fashioned, hopefully, thing. So in the night, Timmy growls. George wakes up and hears voices that she recognises, Lou and Tiger Dan and they see the caravans. They tell the five to clear off. Julian calmly and sternly tells them that they will in the morning and that the men are to leave them alone, which they do when Timmy flies at them. Good boy, Timmy. Chapter 8. Anne is so scared that George lets Julian lock them in the caravan. Please don't lock people in caravans. Don't lock people in anywhere. Surely the caravan has a lock on the inside that the girls could use and then evacuate quickly in the event of a fire. This is exactly what I thought. I thought, don't lock them in because if there's an emergency, they cannot get out of that caravan. And actually, later in the book... Julian's in a situation where he thinks it might be in an emergency situation with the caravan. And if he was locked inside, well, that would be his peril, wouldn't it? Absolutely. 
Agreed. Do not lock those girls inside. The next day, they head off to the hills. And as they pass Lou, he tries to tell them which way to go and Julian ignores him. They pass a very fast running stream and see that it comes from inside the hill. They then find the farmhouse and come to an agreement with the farmer that his wife will provide them with food. Julian is able to do this because he had a well-mannered way with him. The farmer's wife gives them food and slips Anne some raspberry syrup as a treat. They find the perfect place for the caravans with a wonderful view of the lake. Julian was a wonderful boy in this chapter because he was very brave and firm when those men were trying to intimidate him. And, of course, he has that polite way of talking that all the grown-ups like. He does indeed. So, in chapter 9, this place seems perfect. The horses like it, and through their binoculars they can see the circus and Nobby out on his boat. They all take a turn looking through the binoculars, and George says, Give me the glasses, Dick. Timmy wants to have a turn at seeing too. He can't see through glasses like these, idiot said Dick, handing them to George, but Timmy most solemnly glued his eyes to the glasses and appeared to be looking through them very earnestly indeed. Woof, he remarked when he took his eyes away at last. He says he's seen Nobby and Pongo too, said George, and the others laughed. Anne half believed that he had. Timmy was such an extraordinary dog, she thought, as she patted his smooth head. Oh, he is an extraordinary dog. Later in the day, when it's cooler, they leave Timmy on guard and go to the lake for a swim. Lou and Dan are on their way up the hill and they seem to want to know where the caravans are. Anne is still worried that there will be an adventure. Yes, and uh, we have a lovely little passage. Dick, we're not going to have another adventure, are we? said Anne suddenly, (laughs) looking unhappy. I don't want one. I just want a nice, ordinary, peaceful holiday. Of course we're not going to have an adventure, said Dick scornfully. Just because we meet two bad-tempered men from a circus camp, you think we're in for an adventure, Anne? Well, I wish we were. Do you want me to tell you the things that they changed? Oh, yes, please. Uh, said Anne, suddenly looking very woebegone. Oh. Just because we meet two bad-tempered fellows, and, well, I jolly well wish we were. <laughs> oh, bless. Then after that, actually, in case they've changed this bit, he says... Every holiday we've been together so far, we've had adventures, and you must admit that you love talking about them and remembering them. Uh, holes instead of holidays. Holes. On the holes. Bless them. And after that, they meet up with Nobby for a swim and invite him back for a meal. And there was a bit in here that I wondered about because Nobby says to them, I've had a bad day. My uncle shouted at me for making friends with you. He says I'm not to go talking to strangers anymore. And because I knew there was going to be some violence against children, I wondered, does his uncle just shout at him then? I've had a bad day, said Nobby, and he showed black bruises on his arms. My uncle hit me like anything for making friends with you. He says I'm not to go talking to strangers anymore. That's what I wondered might have happened in that bit that they'd changed. That's a good change, I think, just saying that his uncle shouted at him. Poor little boy. In chapter 10... On their way back to the caravans, they see Lou and Dan again, who are acting even more suspiciously. They're smiling and being nice. They tell the children they should come back to their original campsite and be by the lake and spend time with Nobby. The children refuse to leave. Why should they? And Dan and Lou leave. 
Nobby gets ready to go, but he has agreed a signal that he will wave from his boat to let them know that it's safe to go to the circus camp. There are a few bits in this chapter that I would just like to say. One of them is when Nobby's telling them about how he loves horses and he does this and he does that. It says, the children gazed at Nobby in wonder. He seemed an extraordinary boy to them. One who walked about with a tame chimpanzee, exercised hordes of performing dogs, lived with the chief clown in the circus, could turn the most amazing cartwheels and whose only ambition was to work with horses. What a boy! Dick envied him. And I love that it mentions that Dick envied him because of how much Dick loved Sooty and his wild lifestyle. And I think Dick is often living his best life, but he he wants to be a wild boy. In the original, he turned marvellous cartwheels and Dick half envied him. Oh, very interesting. And another bit I liked, the children go back to Timmy and it says Timmy came to meet them, barking his head off, waving his plumy tail wildly in joy. And I just love plumy as a description because Tom Brown has a very plumy tail and sometimes I stroke it and say plume and I think that Timmy's tail would be the same. Plumy is in the original as well. Oh, good. And then my last bit, this was a brilliant chapter for me, I must say. My last bit is when Julian is worrying that maybe the children should move their caravans because he's, you know, he's in charge of them and he's got their safety at heart and he's worried that they might not be that safe. And Dick says to him, oh, have another egg and forget about it. Brilliant advice, Dick. Well done. (laughs) Can I just ask you what? the title of that chapter is yes you can this chapter is called an odd change of mind no it isn't jen it's called a curious change of mind oh and we know we knew that that chapter was different because i was i was telling you about how much i liked dick's excellent advice a bit earlier on wasn't i (laughs) i wonder if any of the other chapters have got different names well Listeners, we just went through them all and they're all the same apart from the one we've mentioned and the use of Ned instead of Nobby. So we edited the list out. In chapter 11, Dick goes to see the farmer's wife who now has a name. She is Mrs. Mackey and she provides him with lots more food and some homemade sweets. They go off to see Nobby and poor Timmy has to stay on guard again. He is very sad about this. Very sad. Poor Tim. Nobby takes them round the circus. They meet Old Lady the Elephant, who plays cricket. Then the dogs and Pongo play football. Then Nobby shows them how skilled he is with the horses. In Chapter 12, Nobby says that Dan and Lou are out for the day. They have their picnic, and then Naughty Pongo lets the monkeys out. Lucilla, the monkey wrangler, I suppose, comes back (laughs) just in time to get them all back again, and the children and Nobby take Old Lady for a wash in the lake. Back at the circus camp, Aslan asks what is in one of the little wagons, and Nobby said he doesn't know. Sometimes it's full, sometimes it's empty. And I thought this was another good clue that you don't necessarily think about. Ah, this was a clue that I did pick up on, because in in mine, I'm sure yours is the same, apart from uh, Ned, Dad and Mum. But this says, um, Anne asks, what's in this cart? And Nobby says, don't know. That cart belongs to my uncle. He never lets me unpack it. I don't know what he keeps there. I've wondered if it was things belonging to my dad and mum. 
I thought I'd look and see one day, but Uncle Dan caught me and half killed me. And in my book, that's the first mention of violence against Nobby. Ah. And also the mysterious car, that, that got me thinking what's And inside. also he does say dad and mum. Oh, he does? Yeah, so Oh, of course, dad... because he's, he's not posh like them, is he? That's mentioned a few times. They all set off back up the hill with Barker and Growler. The dogs race on ahead, and when the children get there, Timmy is barking, and Barker is chewing something. Then he gives a terrible whine and falls on his side. Nobby states that what he was chewing must have been poisoned, and everyone is distraught. He carries Barker home. Yeah, that's such a horrible bit, because we've had talk of Timmy being poisoned before, and it was awful. And then in this, Timmy... He's a clever boy and he didn't eat it because he knew it had been poisoned. And then poor Barker eats it. And then, you know, they talk about how he might die. It's horrible. It is very horrible. In chapter 13, George is distraught and so is everyone else. Thank goodness Timmy doesn't take food from strangers. They all sleep quite badly and no one feels very jolly. Or in your version, happy. Mm Mm-hmm. Julian goes to see Mrs. Mackey to get the food. She reports about some nasty fellows hanging around the farm, possibly stealing chickens. When Julian returns, Dick says that Nobby is waving something red and that Pongo is too, and it must be double danger. Mm. They agree not to tell Anne, and Julian wonders again if they should move on away from Lou and Tiger Dam. But they don't. They do the opposite, and decide to find out what it is they're up to. They can't resist an adventure. Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. The plan is they all make a big deal about going to town so that Lou and Dan know that they're away, but then Julian will return to their caravans and hide. But they don't find a satisfactory hiding place, and Julian decides to just wing it. Brave boy. In chapter 14, Julian gives instructions. Have a meal in the town, he said. Keep away from the day so as to give the men a chance to come up the hill. Go to the post office and see if there are any letters for us, and buy some tins of fruit. They'll make a nice change. Right, Captain, said Dick, and just you be careful, old boy. These men will stick at nothing, bad-tempered brutes they are. Look after the girls, said Julian. Don't let George do anything mad. Dick grinned. Who can stop George doing what she wants to? Not me. I'm glad you read that bit out, because I'd put a little tab in here and I'd written on it, George because I I liked it and in mine it's almost exactly the same but Dick says right captain and you be careful these men will do anything they're really nasty and then we don't have the bit where Julian says look after the girls he just says don't let George do anything mad which I thought was very fun and Dick says the same thing he can't stop her doing anything no one can she's very strong-willed They announce very loudly to the entire circus camp what they're up to, i.e. going into town. They then jump on the bus and Julian gets off almost immediately and heads back. He decides to hide on the roof of the caravan and has his packet of food, but he doesn't take a drink. This doesn't seem very Julian-like. After a while, Dan and Lou appear and scrabble about under the caravan. Maybe Julian was a bit frizzled and that's why he forgot his water. Ah, fair frizzled. Dick has perhaps his wisest moment of all time where he is so perceptive in this chapter 
Anne is saying that she can't imagine Tiger Dan as a clown because clowns are always so happy and lively and funny. That's just acting, said Dick. A clown needn't be the same out of the ring as he has to be when he's in it. If you look at photographs of clowns when they're just being ordinary men, they've got quite sad faces. Wise, wise child. Out of interest, what did Anne say to that? Tiger Dan hasn't got a sad face. He's got a nasty, ugly, cruel, fierce one, said Anne, looking quite fierce herself. Ah, savage as well in my book. Ah, yeah, he does have a savage face, agreed. Okay, moving on to chapter 15, which is inspiringly titled, Several Things Happen. (laughs) I like this chapter heading because as I was reading the chapter, one thing happened and I thought, oh, that's a lot. And then I thought, no, several things and more is coming. (laughs) Julian feels the caravan move. He hears the men mutter and then silence. He peeps over the edge and sees nothing. He doesn't dare get down, but he does eat his lunch and have a nap. And then he's awoken by the caravan moving back into place. He smells smoke and a little while later hears snoring. The men are napping. I just, I find that so hilarious. I know, everybody just loves to have a nap in this. The the children nap every day almost. When they took a nap, what? Why? That is not the most sensible thing they do in this book. It's obviously just so Nobby can come across them by accident, get into trouble and etc, etc. But it, it doesn't course. seem... It seems very odd indeed. Julian sees that the men have full bags of who knows what. And then he spies a face in the brambles, but it doesn't seem human. Then he realises it was Pongo. And then Nobby appears next to him and sees Julian. Despite warnings, Nobby heaves himself right onto the sleeping pair and is about to receive the beating of his life. Just as Julian realises he's going to have to intervene, Pongo steps in and rescues his friend. He bites and attacks the men who flee. And when they're gone, Julian descends from the caravan. This This was a very sweet Julian moment. Julian's actually wonderful in this book because... The men start on Nobby, and it's in mine. Um, it says, you know, he he doesn't want to give away the fact that they've been spying, nor did he want to fight the men. But nobody could lie in silence watching two men hurt a boy. So even though he is just a little boy himself, he's gonna see if he can help Nobby, and then Sweet Pongo comes in to rip and kill. Does uh, do they remove their belt? Oh, gosh, no, they do not. No. No, in this one, uh, Dan shook him savagely. How long have you been here? You've been spying. No, I haven't. Uh, You've been spying on us. That's what you've been doing, said Lou, in a cold, hard voice that filled the listening Julian with dread. Well, up here, there's nobody to hear your yells. So, the, yeah, there's nothing nothing about a bell. And then it says Nobby was terrified. He begged for mercy. He promised to do anything the men asked him and tried to pull away from Dan's hard hands. Wow, okay. Lou does hit Nobby once, and then Pongo comes up. Nobby was terrified. He begged for mercy. He promised to do anything the men asked him, and tried to jerk his poor, swollen face away from Dan's hard hands. Oh! And it's actually... He actually does hit him with his belt in this. Wow. After it says about nobody could lie in silence. He made up his mind to leap off the roof right onto the men and to rescue poor Nobby if he could. 
Nobby gave an anguished yell as Lou gave him a flick with his leather belt. But before Julian could jump down to help him, somebody else bounded up. And we know that that's Pongo. Goodness. Oh, it's so... I know it's only a story and they're not real, but it's still um, quite... It's horrible to read. I can understand in a way, because if you were reading it in the 40s, an adult punishing a child in that way would not be so affecting. No. So I can understand that use of a belt makes the act more severe for somebody reading in the 40s whereas for us reading it now just hitting a child is enough to have the effect required on the reader that's needed so you don't have to put in that he uses a belt yes yes absolutely and pongo comes to the rescue good pongo in chapter 16 timmy and the others arrive back and pongo runs to Anne to cuddle her Nobby gives them an update on Barker and it's not good. Julian reports on what's happened and they decide to explore. They move the van and discover boards where the grass should be. In a stroke of massive coincidence, they have parked their caravan directly over the entrance to what seems to be a hiding place. Pongo goes on an adventure, so Julian and Nobby go to find him. They realise the whole place is a network of caves and somewhere Lou and Dan must hide their stolen goods. Then the torch goes out, and they don't have a spare, which seems odd. They make it back to the daylight, and they say they will buy torches and matches and candles the next day. Why don't they have these things, Jen? Because they have everything else on the planet. Absolutely, and they, in this one, I'm not sure if it's the same in yours, Julian asks if he can use George's torch and she says it's broken. I dropped it last night, but she hadn't mentioned it before. And why on earth have they only got two torches for four children? And also no matches and candles. How are they lighting fires? They must have matches. It was a bit strange. I mean, I know I know they have to have things in the way to make the story exciting, but it was... I felt it was very un-Famous Five to only have one torch and it's got low batteries and they don't have any spare batteries in either of those caravans. Like you say, they have to have obstacles for the story, but they could easily have said it's getting late because they've been out all day. It's getting late and we don't want to be coming back to the entrance in the dark. Mm. There were ways around it that were more Famous Fivey than... Our torches are broken. Dick would absolutely have a torch. Absolutely. Probably in his pocket, right there, right then. In chapter 17, Dick, Nobby and Pongo stay with the caravans while Julian, George, Anne and Timmy go to town to buy torches and send their letter to Mother, because that's important. Mm-hmm. Lou and Dan appear once again until Pongo sends them running. Dick reassures Nobby they've dealt with men like them before and tells the stories of the other books to him. The others return, make a picnic, of course, and head off into the caves. Without Pongo, because he remembers it from the other day and didn't like the dark. So they tether him to the caravan wheel so that he's safe. Foreshadowing. Chapter 18. The children put on extra jumpers and go and explore. They find an enormous shiny cavern, as well as a pile of very valuable objects that are stolen goods. Anne tries on a lot of the jewellery before carefully putting it back. (laughs) bless her it's stolen but she is not going to steal stolen goods they decide to head back and tell the police but first they want to explore a little bit more they go on and find a stream they reckon it must be the fast flowing one that they saw on their way up the hill 
Nobby wants to get back to Pongo. They go to the entrance and it's been shut up. They're prisoners again. Oh, I know. I know, I know, I know. Prisoners again. And at the start of 19, Julian doesn't have anything to say and it says he's angry with himself for not thinking that this might happen. And I'm not angry at Julian, but they have been prisoners before from bad men. In chapter 19, they wonder if Pongo can help them, and so they shout out to him. But they don't hear him at all. That's because Pongo is unconscious, having been hit in the head by an enormous stone thrown by Dan. Yes, that is, that's, oh, this, this is, this is the first very, very horrible part of this book, because, you know, in mine, I didn't, didn't experience Nobby being beaten up but in this you know they they talk about how he just throws a big stone at poor Pongo and then Lou says you've killed him and Tiger Dan says good horrible in my version it says you've gone and killed him said Lou so much the better said Tiger Dan oh okay mine's quite paraphrased then do those kids still want throttling uh they want their necks ringing ah Dan and Lou decide they will go and get their loot and make a run for it and then send a card to the circus saying where the children are. Dan wants to starve them but Lou is against it. In the tunnel, using one torch, the children eat ham sandwiches and drink from the stream they found. They wade through the stream to see if there's an opening but it's so small and it's too dangerous to try and escape through. At least once again as hostages they're being fed and watered. They brought their own. Oh, that yeah, that's that's true. But um, but we we do hear later on that they the baddies intend to put food down there for them. Yes, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. They say you know this they're not going to starve them. In chapter twenty, the children try to get dry and warm, and suddenly Pongo appears. Hmm. He's regained consciousness and bitten through his tether. Clever boy. They give him a note and send him to the circus. Hopefully. Later, as some of the children fall asleep, Lou and Dan make their way into the caves. Lou has a gun, and he forces them into the tunnel so that they can fill their sacks with loot. But suddenly, Dan is under attack. It's Pongo! Yay! In chapter 21, Dick uses the opportunity to tell Julian his plan of splitting from the group, hiding, and getting out while the entrance is open and fetching the police. He decides to board over the entrance, trapping the men in, assuming the others would try and hide. Lou and Dan are ready to leave when they realise they're trapped too. They go and check if all the children are there. George pretends to be a boy to fool them into thinking Dick is still there. And this is very brave because the men are essentially going to beat the two boys and she really could have said she was a girl to get out of it and didn't, Mm -hmm. proving that she doesn't just want to be a boy when it suits her. I love her. She is a good child. (laughs) Lou goes to grab George and Julian kicks the torch out of his hand. Lou shoots blindly and George fears for Timmy. In chapter 22, Timmy is fine. And then four burly police officers arrive. It's always nice when police officers are burly. Yes, yes, yes. And the more the merrier with the police. Lou is revealed to be called Louis Alberg a known criminal whose burglaries have been worrying the police for four years. Him and Tiger Dan's burglaries, obviously not just Lou's. Yes. Dick tells Julian he went straight to the Mackies and used their phone. Clever boy. Mm -hmm. They all leave the tunnel and the inspector says he'll be back tomorrow. 
The children eat, of course, and then go to bed. In the morning, Farmer Mackie and his wife appear, concerned about the goings-on last night, and she, of course, has brought them food, and Anne makes them all wash before breakfast. Does Nobby call her mum when she says that? Yes. Yes, I like that bit. All right, mum, grinned Nobby, and he went off with the others to wash at the spring. Oh, ma, he says. All right, ma. Oh, okay. But there's the same, the same fun little joke. Yeah, the sentiment is the same. Yeah. In the final chapter, the inspector returns and eats a considerable amount of bread and honey. He talks about the robberies and how the men were going to make a getaway to Europe to sell the stolen goods, and the five had caught them just in time. Nobby is worried about going back to the camp. Now that there's no head clown or chief acrobat and the police have been around, he thinks they'll be cross with him. It's revealed that Nobby is 14 and he's never been to school. Julian says that he can stay with them a bit longer. That is, until a telegraph arrives from their parents telling them to come home immediately. Julian goes with Mrs Mackey to the farm to call them and asks Mrs Mackey if they need anyone to help with the horses. Mr and Mrs Mackey agree to a trial and Growler can go with him. Everyone says goodbye to Pongo as he belongs to the circus so Nobby must return him. Later, they hear Nobby coming back and with him is not only Growler but Barker too. Hooray! Hooray! Hurrah! Hooray! They all say goodbye as the five head home. The end. The end. And it was quite a sweet little ending. And Nobby doesn't have to go back to the circus. And, you know, the Mackies will be nice to him because they like to be nice to children. And Barker didn't die, which I was sort of hoping he wouldn't because it is a children's book. But after some of the other things that happened in this, I didn't, I was not sure. In this section, we play you some clips from the TV versions. And in the version that was filmed in the 1990s, Julian has a broken leg, and so he's on crutches throughout. It changes the entire dynamic of the story, but apparently the actor had broken his leg, and so the whole thing had to be changed. In the episode that comes before this, which isn't chronological with the books, they wrote in that during the adventure he broke his leg. So then when it came to the next story, he would have a broken leg. Okay. Nobby is portrayed, or at least played by an actor, who seems a lot older and more like a Julian character than he is in the books. There's no Pongo. There's no moving of the caravans to find the hidden space. It's very condensed, obviously, because it's a 25 minutes episode. But it has quite long bits when not very much is happening. And having Julian on crutches makes the whole thing seem even sillier than usual. I haven't edited this clip for time, because it's important, I think, that you hear the dog chewing. Oh, and it's Growler who gets poisoned, because Barker doesn't appear. The usual five star, as well as Ben Brazier as Nobby. And it's adapted by Helen Creswell and directed by Tim Dowd. you cross with us, Timmy? Nobby's brought Growler to see you. Come and have a look inside. Good dog, Growler.
It's a beauty, ain't it? So clean and tidy. You should see my uncle's caravan. He never bothers to clean it. Nobby! It's Growler. Growler. He, he started to shake. And then he just collapsed. He's still breathing, Nobby. Has he been eating this? I don't know. Could have been. I'm going to take him to Lucilla. Nobby. I think this is what poisoned him. Timmy! Don't worry, Anne. He wouldn't touch it. The poor Growler. She know what to do with him. Let's take the meat with us. Dick, you look up. I always forget in this version that Timmy is not the border collie that I feel used to, you know, from what you've said and from the 70s version. And I'm always surprised at how small he is. And obviously you're going to have to watch the clip to see that because it's not something you can hear, but it will be linked in the description. Have a look at Timmy, see what you think. Also in this version, they only have one caravan. Oh, they do, don't they? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, the, the whole thing with Julian on his crutches, I agree, is just, it is just silly. I mean, your parents letting you go off on holiday, just your four children and your dog, is one thing. But when the boy who's supposed to be in charge has a broken leg, that is an entirely different one. I would have been very tempted to cut around the leg. Mm. I'm pretty sure you could manage, especially a kid's show, and not have his leg in. You could always do the thing that gets done quite a lot and have a body double. Mm -hmm. So if you had to have Julian running, you'd have him in long shot or you'd have just his legs. Yeah. You could have him sitting down a lot, you know, all sorts of things. I just think it, I think it's a real shame because it's such a good story, this one. Mm -hmm. And the episode is really, really below par. From doing a little bit of research, the actor broke his leg playing football in between filming. And that's something that you're absolutely not supposed to do as an actor because of continuity. And apparently he's not the first Julian to upset his directors because I remember reading that the other Julian in the 70s version got sunburnt one weekend and so had to be filmed in long shot in one of the episodes, not this one. And actors usually have things like that in their contract, you know, no haircuts, no shaving your beard off or getting a fake tan or, you know, anything yeah. like that. For continuity, you have to look the same. However when you're playing Julian, they can't really recast for one episode or have you mysteriously missing. Yes. The 70s version of the story, I think, is told much better. It has time for the back and forth of Dan and Lou and the whole getting on the bus plot so that they think they're there and then Julian hides in the caravan. The animals in this one are a bit dodgy. Nobby calls Pongo a boy and then a girl in different points. And when he introduces Barker and Growler, he then tries to get them to do a trick and calls one of them Trixie, which <laughs> is odd. Also, there's points where you can see somebody with black gloves on holding Pongo up when he's supposed to be in the hedge. Yes, because it was the 70s and you could just have a little chimpanzee in there. On a lead. On a lead, yeah. yeah. This clip is the same happening. So it's the poisoning of Barker. The usual five appear. And Gary Dunverdin plays Nobby. It was adapted by Richard Sparks and directed by Peter Duffel. What's up, Timmy? What's Barker doing? He's chewing something. What is it? What's Barker doing? 
Baka got? Baka! Give! Give! A piece of meat. Now, how on earth? Maybe a farmer came by and gave it to Timmy. Then why didn't he eat it? He's trained not to take food from strangers. Pretty strange. Barker! Look! Barker, what's the matter, boy? Barker! What's up? I don't know. It might be the meat. It may be poisoned. Nobby, what can we do? I don't know. Look, I'll take him up to camp. Maybe we can do something for him there. I'll come with you. No, you stay here. Someone wanted to kill Timmy. I bet it was Lou and Tiger Dan. We don't know that, George. Who else? And you heard Lou threaten Timmy. I do love... 70s version George and her delivery of all the important lines. She's just a brilliant child. She was the George I grew up with. Yeah, she's your George. She's my George. And also because on this podcast we're very fond of Dick and his jokes, here's a clip from the 70s version. Julian, do you think they have lions or anything? I expect so. Why? Well, I don't like the thought of sleeping near lions. <laughs> Come on, Dick. Just think how the poor lions will feel. Wait for us! Come on, then. I'll hurry up. I'd rather have a dog like Timmy than a brother like Dick any day. At least he doesn't leave dirty form ups everywhere. No, he makes terrible jokes and he's dead. Oh, bless him. He has quite a few sort of cheeky lines like that i think in this book actually his mum calls him a cheeky boy at one point he is a bit of a cheeky boy because he's so fun loving so what have we learned from five go off in a caravan well i've learned that if mrs Mackie wants to give you a present you jolly well let her Anne will have the red caravan <laughs> nobody else has a choice and apparently boys don't care about what colour caravans they stay in well which is good because I mean Anne was quite fierce and strong in this one so yes if she hadn't have got the red one I don't think what would have happened when you're hiding on a caravan roof take water and when exploring a cave put on an extra jumper and if you ever take anyone hostage, you must give them enough food. And if you are in a stressful situation and you're not sure what to do, just have another egg and forget about it. <laughs> I mean, on our other podcast, I'm forever saying get that on a t-shirt, but get that on a t-shirt. This would be the t-shirt. Have another egg and forget about it. For me, the hero of this book is Julian. It's the first time that they go away by themselves, that they're not at Kieran or they're not in somebody else's house. And he's really good with adults. They all find him charming and he's responsible. And he was going to rescue Nobby at the risk of getting battered. And he's also very kind to Nobby and he sorts him out with the Mackies. I think Julian deserves this one. 
I absolutely agree with you. And this is actually going to be Julian's first hero of the book. So well done. Book five. And he's the fifth one. Yeah, I, I completely, completely agree that he's the hero because, like you said, he he does really stand out in this one. And he really takes it seriously that he is the oldest and he's taking care of the rest of them. And he's just such a good boy and he's so polite to the grown-ups and he wants to pay his own way. And then, like you said, he was going to go and help Nobby even though he was probably going to get badly beaten. Do you have the data to do a recap on heroes or not? George is the only one who hasn't had a hero of the book yet. Oh, George. At the moment, the tally is Dick, Julian and Anne have all been our hero of the book once. George is yet to be a hero of a book, which is strange because she's always very heroic. Um, And Timmy is our winner because twice he's been our hero. Okay, so we're agreed on Julian. Excellent. So, Katie, what can we expect next time? Because all I know is the title of the next one, which is Five on Kieran Island again. Well... In what was supposed to be the final Famous Five adventure, we do indeed return to Kieran. I'm glad it's not the final Famous Five adventure because I love them. I'm very glad as well. So until next month when you revisit them going to Kieran Island and I find out what happens when they go to Kieran Island again, you can contact us. We are on Twitter at famous five pod our website is www.famous5pod.wordpress.com and you can email us famous5pod at gmail.com i am hashtag team george jan i i'm i'm dick and Anne. every week i can't i can't ever decide who whose team i'm more on maybe i can make them like a you know, like a couple's name, so it could be like Team Dan or Team An Anik. Mm, Anik. Anik. Yeah, there we are. That's me. Team Anik. <laughs> Team Anarchy. Fifty percent Dick, fifty percent Anne. No Anarchy, just a bit of cheeky. <laughs> che- ti- cheeky tidying. Oh yes, <laughs> there it is. Cheeky tidying. Bless you. Yes, love it. If you enjoy listening to us, we also have another podcast. It's called the KJD Pod. It's Katie and Jen's Disney film podcast. You can find that on iTunes by typing in KJD Pod. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe on iTunes. And if you wouldn't mind writing us a review, that would be amazing. Yeah, that would be really wonderful. And we would be very appreciative. And... We'll see you again very soon. Yeah, see you soon. Bye-bye. Jen? Yes? Have another egg and forget about it. Woo! Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to the Famous Five podcast. And please join us next month for more adventures. Goodbye.